0: our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, Lent is kind of a time of repentance, and I'm going to step right over all of the talk of repentance and in the epistle and the gospel with its cause and effect implications of if you do not repent. But I'm going to uh, own the fact that we are in a process of repentance all the time, and Lent calls it to us. But let's look at the way that Moses changed his direction, which is really the meaning of the word repent. It means to reverse your direction. The problem with going on the trail that we're on is that we'll wind up exactly where we're heading. And sometimes that's not the right place. So God asks us to turn and to repent and to move a new way. Here's Moses. He's at the foot of the mountain of the Lord, Horeb. It's also called Sinai. Something new was brewing. A change was in the works. Something difficult, something good but very difficult. This something began within the usual and the routine, but it was God's initiation. And this time, for poor Moses, it broke through the normal and natural in a mystical fashion. I say poor Moses because it's an awesome thing to confront God that closely. And it can have a huge effect on your life. A burning bush. Burning but not consumed. It ushers in three good things. But hard things. Comfort. A reassuring comfort from God. A calling. A very demanding and thorough and insatiable calling from the Lord. Stubborn as God is, to call Moses to this task and a challenge, moving Moses beyond who he thinks he is to the Moses that God knows that he is. Now, I only bring this up because these are the things that are recapitulated in our own life in God. It's not only real and happening for Moses, but also it's a type. It's a type for all of life. And it shows up in your journey and in your walk with Christ. Was is it again? It's this comfort. It's this calling. It's this challenge. What's the nature of the comfort that that Moses receives? When he hears this voice and this whole argument of God in the burning bush, the comfort is, I have seen the misery of your people, I have heard their cries, and I have come to allow something new to happen, to do something about it, and to be The one who uses you, Moses, as liberator, as deliverer out of this mess that they're in, this slavery that is causing them suffering, that's the comfort. Added to that, his words that come in many ways, I am with you. The calling that he receives is for him, Moses, to be a specific deliverer, to go to Pharaoh. A terrible task, but he has to go. And Moses puts up at least five arguments. We don't hear them all. But he puts up some protest. We hear some of it. We hear uh, Moses saying, but who am I? that I would be asked to do this. And God tells him, I'll tell you who you are. You are the one with whom I am. I'm with you. That's who you are. He says, but but, but, who are you? I mean, they're going to ask me who's sending. And he goes into this amazing thing where mystery is is put forward. Go tell them, I am that I am. You tell them, I am has sent you. So in this mysterious language of God, we hear him redirecting Moses away from some definition, some pet name, some local deity, some uh, human-sized Impression of what a God could be or should be. Away from that and toward the concept that God is the one, the forever now, who is being itself and from whom all that exists gets its existence. The, the, the sort of uh, replacement name that the scriptures give to to god so often throughout the old testament is the y-h-w-h the consonants that don't even have the vowel pronunciation but we we say yahweh we say yahweh and somehow these letters this word this i am is tied up together the meaning of i am interesting that we'll be heading into Holy Week and in in Mark's passion which we won't hear this year when the authorities ask Jesus so are you this one who is to come and he says I am he doesn't say I am he or I am that Messiah that you expect he just says I am he leaves it open like that so that is the nature of, G- of God's answer to Moses when uh, he puts up the resistance and says, "Well, who are you? Who should I say?" But there's all kinds of things. He he later says, "Yes, but but, um, you know, I'm I'm not your guy. I can't even speak well." So you'll have to read on into chapter 4 to get some of those other resistances. What finally happens is that Moses fulfills the repentance and moves a new direction, and he goes to Pharaoh. And he is the agent of deliverance for the people of God. Well, this is a mystical experience of Moses. And we don't always have mystical experiences that move us to repentance and that redirect us into the things that God is having us to do, not only to consider but to actually do. But even the normal kinds of direction that we receive from God through the sacraments, through the scriptures, through our prayers, through music, through conversation and fellowship... And activity in the church and outreach, all of these normal kinds but special and powerful kinds of Christian experience have as their root and context the connection with the eternal God, with the Holy One. I don't know, do we really want to wish each other mystical experiences? I think they do happen, but I'm not sure it's comfortable at all. I think once we're in them, we do need God's comfort and calling, and we do need redirection of our identity. Father Bates preached about uh, some bookends of epiphany, which were, which were the uh, voice at the baptism and the, the shining glory, the uncreated light of God that shines on the Mount of Transfiguration. And these are moments of mystical Experience for all who witnessed the baptism, for all who were there, those three that witnessed the transfiguration. And I think that we, whether we have an encounter that befuddles us or not, we are directed. I wanted to describe two experiences that uh, real human beings had that uh, are extraordinary. Um, I will say this. You know, in the Celtic tradition, there, there's this expression, thin places. Have you ever run across this? Thin places. And uh, these are, are thought to be places where the natural and the eternal are sort of obviously close to each other, connected to each other. A place where the veil between the, this world and the eternal world is thin, A thin place is where one can walk in two worlds. The worlds are fused together, knitted loosely, where the differences can be discerned, or tightly, where the worlds just become one. And there are these moments. There's a Benedictine monk. He's a priest, and uh, he once visited Mother Teresa's home for the dying in Calcutta, This is his description. Uh, The beds were all occupied, and the overflow of the suffering individuals covered the floors. The missionaries of charity ran a compassionate but efficient and immaculately clean operation. One of them asked me briskly to go over to a very slight body, whether male or female. You couldn't tell, lying on the ground with his or her back to us. Told me to go over there and give a blessing. When I knelt down I saw the thinnest of young men and by his stillness I assumed he was already dead. I touched his shoulder and was shocked when he moved and with surprising quickness turned toward me. He lifted himself up on his thin arm and looked into me with wide open eyes filled with bliss I weakly wondered for a moment if I had distracted him from what he was contemplating, but he was undistractable. It was I who had been blessed as his look penetrated through the walls of our distinct identities and brought me momentarily into the vision. You see, we're all heading there toward union with God. But there are moments sometimes coming up in, in a place where you can't believe there would be a thin place. But there it is. There it is. I was in Tucson a few weeks ago and I looked up one of my buddies from high school and we got together for dinner. His name is Ed Torrejon. And uh, he was the, the the best wrestler on our wrestling team, and he was a champion in high school and then on in college again a champion so I looked for uh, I looked for a dinner I looked for a normal dinner, and uh, we ordered and I thought it would be well where where are your kids and where are your, are your grandkids and It was anything but that now you have to understand. Uh, Ed is a walking contradiction, anyway. Uh, not only was he good in sports, uh, uh, but he um, he got his doctorate in um, educational administration, and and he set up actually a counseling practice. Oh, and by the way, he's also a biker, so he has this down musta- mustache down to here, tats many places, and uh, uh, and uh, he's just a, a world wise person and he had uh, set aside his education and, and psychotherapy part of his career and he bought a gym and he, he was training uh, young men who were fighters who were acting out of anger and he looked like his life had changed. He looked to work within them in the same way, to move them from from thugs and and tough guys into noble warriors. So he'd been doing good work all along, but he said uh, he said, "Bro, that's how he talks, bro." I had a heart attack, and and it's because I I was in a motorcycle crash, and over the weeks I. My business was failing and I was stressed out and I was by myself and I felt the pain and I just started to pray Jesus help me I don't want to die Jesus help me and then I just stopped and I said wait Jesus already knows what's going to happen why am I worried and then I went to this place where there was nothing, nothing at all except love, just love. No, no, there was no philosophy, there was no psychology, there was no theology, there was just love. I'm not sure how he ever got revived or what hospital he went to, because he didn't talk about that, but he talked about how when he came through all of this, he remembered uh, reading something... Mother Teresa said said now don't come here and help me in Calcutta you go find your own Calcutta and so off he went and he gathered some things and he flowed into this ministry of just being with the homeless there in Tucson even in Tucson it gets cold you know below freezing really for a few weeks out of the year and uh, he was bringing them Oh, sleeping bags and tents and, and mittens and hats and things. And he showed me, grabbed his phone and he just showed me. And here's this guy. His name is such and such. And here's her. And this is, how, this is what she had. And this is how we left her. And he said, now, I know I'm not solving any of these people's problems. He said, but I just feel compelled to go and be with them and to comfort one aspect of their suffering and to let them know that the love of God is real and God loves them. And, and then, then I leave. But I'm trying to figure out where next to go. How to get better stuff, more chiefly. Who else can help me. Stuff like that. And then, uh, I don't know where to go with this, but I'll, I'll add this piece. I mean, I, I, this piece doesn't really belong, but it kind of does. When we got to the car, he said, now, now Dave you need to get out of here. It's pointing to my head. You need to get out of here and down into there in my heart. And I thought, when did I say two words that would have had him conclude that I need to change? But uh, I later thought, he might have just known. (laughs) You know, maybe I do. So I'm thinking about that. But uh, Ed was somebody that had... Because of a physical trauma, because of of heart and flow of blood was was pushed into a mystical uh, connection. He might have been able to explain to me how, well, there is the brain chemistry and this is what happens when things are shutting down. But he also would have said, yeah, all that's probably true and God showed me a new way. Both things are true. So, no, I don't wish for myself or others um, the kinds of things that move people. Maybe we don't need two by fours to get our attention. Maybe we don't. But everywhere we look, God is reorienting us toward what God was. And He promises comfort, a calling and a reshaping of our own identities. I'll close with this. You, you remember the, uh, the portion of Aurora Lay- Lee by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, and she goes through a kind of a poetic or prose essay about how there's like eternal things and there's temporal things, and believe me, they're really, really close. But she beautifully goes through all this. And she says, now, I truly, I reiterate, nothing small, no lily-muffled hum of a summer bee, but find some coupling with spinning stars. At the very end, she says, she says, earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush a fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. So look around. That bush is there calling.